coming tonight to verses 14 through 21. Uh, Romans 12, verses 14 through 21. And so let's begin by reading those verses. And this is the very word of God. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are 17 commands in these eight verses. And of the 17 commands, 10 of them seem to deal directly with how Christians should respond to mistreatment. It may be persecution or suffering that comes at the hands of people outside of the church, enemies of God, unbelievers who treat us wrongly. But because Christians remain sinners, often this mistreatment will come from the very ones who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. But in either case... Whether the mistreatment is from within the family of God or whether the mistreatment comes from outside the family of God, these verses teach us how to respond. Uh, We could give testimonies, couldn't we? Uh, We've all been mistreated. We've all been wounded by the words and the actions of others. If you've been a part of this church or any other church for any length of time, You've likely been hurt by the words and actions of others who are Christians. In a family, brothers and sisters both love each other and sometimes hurt each other. And the church of Christ is a family. Not only have we all been mistreated, but if we're honest, we've all done our share of mistreating. We've all overlooked people. We've all neglected people. Uh, We've spoken those words that we regretted the moment they came out of our mouths. Perhaps we've participated in gossip or slander, or at least given a willing ear to hear gossip or slander. Perhaps we've done much worse. Uh, In the church of Corinth, things got so bad that Christians were suing each other. Christians in the same local church We're taking each other to court. The local church is to be an outpost of heaven here on earth. But sadly, for some people, their experience in a local church has been more hellish than heavenly. 
And yet none of that changes what God has said. None of that changes God's command for all his people to worship him by finding our place among his people. God has called us to live our Christian lives together and to do so in a way that Christ serves me through you and Christ serves you through me all to show his glory and his grace. So that even when we as a family are breaking each other's hearts, we are still family. And so God is teaching us how to respond to mistreatment. Now, of the ten commands here that seem to deal directly with responding to mistreatment, four tell us what not to do, and then six tell us how we should respond. So let's point out the negatives first. Let's see the commands that Paul gives us about how we should not respond when we're mistreated. Ready? Here we go. So first, do not curse those who persecute you. That's verse 14. Uh, To curse someone is to wish them ill. Uh, To curse someone is to long for God to bring pain or hardship into their life. They've hurt you. Now you want them to hurt a little too. God says, don't do that. Don't curse those. Don't long for ill to come on those who mistreat you. Second, do not repay them evil for evil. That's verse 17. Do not repay them evil for evil. So this is a step further than wishing your enemy harm. This is you actually taking action against them. They spoke harshly to you. You're going to speak harshly right back. They spread a false rumor about you. Hey, you know what? Two can play at that game. They stop talking to you. You decide to start ignoring them. You're repaying back evil for evil. Verse 17 is clear. That is not to be the way of God's people. When you are mistreated, when you are wronged, you are not to try and get even. You are not to try and respond in kind. Third, never avenge yourself. Verse 19. Never avenge yourself. To avenge yourself is to try and exact justice from the person who has wronged you. They've treated you badly. You want to see them pay for what they've done. You want to see justice done for what they did to you. And so you take steps to make them pay. God says, no, you do not avenge yourself. And then fourth, do not be overcome by evil. Verse 21. So four times you're told what not to do, how not to respond And this fourth, do not, sums up the whole list. For you see, when someone does you wrong, along with the injury, comes a temptation. Mistreatment brings with it temptation. When you've been mistreated, you're now tempted to become like the one who has hurt you. When you've been treated badly, you're now tempted to imitate their behavior, to sink to their level, to act as they have acted. And Mount Hermon, it can be a strong temptation. 
When someone is yelling angrily at you, everything inside of you can want to yell back. <coughs> when you have been hurt badly by someone, everything inside of you can be wanting to wish them ill, wanting to see bad things happen to them. And apart from the grace of God, you and I cannot withstand that temptation. I mean, just look around our world. Uh, our whole world is filled with people responding injury for injury, wrong for wrong, evil for evil. And our passage is a warning. Don't let the temptation get you. Don't be overcome by evil. You know what? Being injured, being mistreated, being wronged by someone, that's bad, but it's not sin for you. God can help you endure that suffering. God can help you endure that mistreatment. But you responding evil for evil, that's sin. Responding evil for evil is far worse than being injured or wronged by others. God will work through the wrongs that are done to you and turn them for your good. Remember that? You have a sovereign God. God will work through every harsh word said to you, every time somebody manipulates you, every time someone has deceived you, every time someone has taken advantage of you. God is going to work all of that for your good. Trust him. Believe that he can help you endure the wrong. But do not be overcome by evil yourself. Do not sin. Do not respond in kind. Booker T. Washington said, I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. Okay, so that's what we're not to do. How should we respond when we are mistreated? Well, we have six commands that are positive commands that tell us what we should do. So look at these in your Bible as we mention each one. So first, beginning of verse 14, bless those who persecute you. This is the opposite of cursing them. To bless someone is to wish them well. To bless someone is to long for God to do them good. To bless someone is to ask for God to help them, to give them his favor, even to make them joyful in him. And to emphasize this, Paul says it twice in verse 14. This person caused you harm. This person did you wrong. How do you respond? By asking God to bring joy to them and peace to them through Jesus Christ. Asking God to do them good. Christians are to be weird people. We respond in weird ways. Someone says, I hate you and want to do you harm. You say, I pray God will bless you and do you good. Second, we're told to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 17, do you see that? Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So instead of repaying evil for evil, remember that you live as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. When you are mistreated, you're faced with that temptation to respond in kind. But you're also given a wonderful opportunity to be a witness for Christ. People are watching how you're going to respond now that you've been wronged. Even the one who wronged you is now watching to see what are you going to do now that you've been wronged. 
Jesus is the one who never committed any sin, and yet he was put on a cross as a common criminal. Nobody has ever been mistreated. Nobody has ever been unjustly treated. Nobody has ever been wronged the way Jesus Christ was wronged. And instead of responding in kind, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's the one of whom you are to be an ambassador in this world. Your mistreatment is an opportunity to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ that you have received. Doing what is honorable means doing that which others will see is beautiful. Because you see, the word translated honorable here has that idea of beauty in it. It also has that idea of doing what is good, intrinsically in and of itself, beautiful and good. It's the same word Jesus used when he said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works, your beautiful works, your honorable works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that person treated you in a dirty way. That person treated you in a despicable way. You're to respond by treating them with a with beautiful acts, with acts that are good, with acts that anybody will see them and they will say that is an honorable response. In other words, when somebody treats you badly, you're not just to wish them good. You're to actually do them good. You're now to be a blessing to them. And and note that in our verse, you're to give thought to this. There's to be intentionality here. You're to think about, how can I bless this person who has wronged me? How can I do something for them that will be honorable and beautiful and good? And then, after thinking about this, then you're to act. What do we normally think about when somebody does this wrong? Oh, we stew over it. We replay the scene 10,000 times in our heads. Our verse says, you know what, you should think about it. But not what happened. Here's what you're to think about when you've been wrong. How can I turn around and bless this person? How can I turn around and do something good and beautiful for this one who has hurt me and harmed me? Number three, we're we're taught to leave our mistreatment to the wrath of God. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. Uh, Instead of avenging yourself, instead of trying to exact justice and make the other person pay, we're to leave the vengeance to God. And here Paul gives us a motivation. He gives us a reason why we should leave it to the wrath of God. Do, do you see the reason there in verse 19? For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. So, so Paul says this is a principle that if you get it, it will help you to love your enemy. This is a truth that if you understand it, it will help you to set the way you've been mistreated aside and to put it in God's hands and to leave the vengeance to him. And he quotes Deuteronomy 32.25. Deuteronomy 32.25, Moses is about to die. And Moses prophesies before the people of Israel, just before they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land. Honestly, Deuteronomy 32 is a tremendous chapter. It is full of glorious truth, telling ahead of time all of these things that are going to happen to the nation of Israel. 
One day we're going to spend months in Deuteronomy 32. I don't know when, but one day we're going to do it. But among the many truths of that prophecy is this one. Those who would do harm to the children of God will face the wrath of their father. For ultimately, all sin is against God. Let me ask you a question. When someone mistreats you, when someone does you wrong, why is it wrong? Why is it wrong for somebody to hurt you? When remember, we deserve far worse. We are people who in and of ourselves, because of our sin, because of our guilt before a holy God, we deserve hell. So why is it wrong for us to be mistreated? Answer, because ultimately all sin is an act of rebellion against God. All sin is a transgression of God's law. When David had sinned greatly, committing both murder and adultery, he cried out to God and he said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this great evil in your sight. And we say to David, David, wait a minute, what about Uriah? You sinned against Uriah, you had him killed. And David, what about Bathsheba? You you took her as your own when she was not yours to take. You sinned against Bathsheba. And David's not minimizing the harm he had done. But he's acknowledging what we all must acknowledge. Ultimately, every sin is Godward. Ultimately, every sin is violating the law of the lawgiver. God is the one who created us. God is the one who gave us our purpose for living. God is the one to whom we must answer. So when you try to avenge yourself for something that someone did wrong to you, you're putting yourself in the place of God. It was not your law that they broke. Sure, you were the victim in the situation. Sure, you were the one who were on the receiving side of their sin. Nevertheless, it was not your law they broke. It was God's law that they broke. And God is the judge. And before him, all people will have to give an account. Frankly, if you or I were the judge, we would make a mess of things. We we would not judge justly. We would be too soft when we should be firm. We would be too harsh when we should show mercy. But God is the perfect judge for every situation and for every crime and wrongdoing and sin ever committed. Even earlier in Deuteronomy 32, Moses said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His way is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God alone has the right to judge and God alone is qualified to judge. And make no mistake about it. He will not let any sin slip by unpunished. Every sin is an attack on his glory. Every sin is is an attack on who he is and his honor. And frankly, God's glory is too precious for him to allow it to go demeaned. God will vindicate his great name. And thus, even when he decides to save sinners, even when he decides to bring them to himself, he still deals with their sins. Every sin must be punished, either in hell or at the cross. The cross exists as a testimony to the fact That every sin must be punished. And so right now, 
as we sit here tonight, we know with sadness that there are people being abused and nobody else knows about it. As we sit here tonight, there are people turning a blind eye to wrongs in their midst. As we sit here tonight, there are perpetrators who are getting away scot-free with terrible things that they've done. And yet we need to make no mistake. On the last day, every single sin will be exposed. And every single act of abuse will be punished. Nothing has escaped the eye of God. He will make it right. You might be interested to know that the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of America, Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it was preached on the verse that Paul quotes here. Uh, Jonathan Edwards' text was Deuteronomy 32, 35, but he particularly focused on the part that comes next where God says, in due time, their foot shall slip. Meaning right now, those who are doing harm, those who are mistreating the people of God, those who are living in sin, they seem to be getting away with it. People who are doing wrong seem to be walking around just fine. It will not always be that way. In due time, their foot will slip. In due time, God's recompense will come. And Jonathan Edwards called out to his hearers and he said, are you ready for the day when your foot slips? Are you ready for the day when you will have to stand before God? It is God who this very moment is upholding you by his mercy. And should God decide that today is the very last day of your life, here's what's ahead of you. The vengeance of God. And if you have not fled to Jesus Christ for safety, and if you've not had your sins forgiven, the wrath of God is waiting for you. Indeed, the wrath of God is coming for you. Every sin is a spurning of God's name. Every sin is a spurning of God's beloved son. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. Every sin arouses the righteous hatred of God. Edward said, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, he abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Deuteronomy 32, 41, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. There's any unbelievers in here tonight. This is the kind of passage that ought to wake you up. Every sin will be punished. But for believers in this room. Here's the reality we are being brought to consider. When you believe on Jesus, you become so united to Christ that every harm done to you is as if it was done to Christ himself. We've pointed out often that when Saul had been going around persecuting Christians, Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Because to persecute Christians was to persecute Jesus. What was done to his people was done to Christ. So not only is every sin against God in a general sense, but every sin committed against you is committed against God in a more personal and unique sense because you are God's child. If you harm my wife, if you harm my children, you've harmed me in an even greater sense because we are of the body of Christ. When someone harms a Christian, they are seeking to attack Christ himself. Jesus spoke boldly about those who would harm his people. Uh, He referred to us as little ones, as his children. He said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to, to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So a couple of years ago, uh, our house experienced a series of break-ins. Over a period of about a year, our house was broken into three times. And we had stuff stolen each time. And we called the police. And we filed the report. And they would come and they would brush for fingerprints. It was all left in the hands of the police. They took their crime scene photos But at the end of the day, there was very little they could do about it because there just wasn't enough evidence to identify the perpetrators. And so there was no justice done. It just was what it was. Dear Christian, when Paul tells you to leave your mistreatment to the wrath of God, it is not like leaving it in the hands of the police. It is not like saying, leave it to the hands of God and justice might be done. No. One way or another, for every wrong ever done to you, true justice will be done. Either in hell or at the cross, every sin will be met by the wrath of God. Every sin will be met by his wrath and God's glory and his name will be vindicated. Here's what Paul is saying. God has taken up your cause so you don't have to. God has taken up the wrongs that have been done to you, so you don't need to leave it in your hand. Leave it in his hands. Okay, fourth. We have here that if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. Do you see that? Verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. So when you're obeying verse 19, when you're leaving your mistreatment to the wrath of God, you're now free to respond. In a radically wonderful way. If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. And the fifth command, it's right after it, and it's like it. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. Rather than responding in like kind to the one who has mistreated you, you are to respond in love. Leave justice to God. God will take care of justice. You worry about love. You worry about generosity and kindness. Why? Because this is how God has treated you. This is what God has done for you when you had mistreated his glory. When you had sinned against him. When you had rebelled against him. He responded with love. Now remember, sometimes the enemy in this passage, the one who has mistreated you, sometimes it's a brother or sister. They're only your enemy in the sense that they're the ones who did you wrong. They're not really your enemy. 
you're one body. You're individually members of one another. That's verses 4 and 5. So when your fellow believer treats you badly, respond with love. Respond with kindness. Jesus said that on the last day, whether or not we were ever truly his will be shown in exactly this way. We will be judged by whether or not our faith showed itself in a willingness to love those that God brought into our lives. Matthew 25, verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now, what do we make of the second motivation that Paul gives us to respond in love to those who mistreat us? Our first motivation was respond in love because vengeance belongs to the Lord. He's going to take care of justice. But our second motivation is at the end of verse 20. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now that's graphic. It's quite a picture that's being painted there. Heap burning coals on his head. So what's, what is that about? By, by giving food to my hungry enemy... By giving water when the person who wronged me is thirsty, I'm going to heap burning coals on his head. How how does that fit with the call to love my enemy? What is this about? Well, when someone mistreats you, when someone does you wrong, and then you respond in love, you respond in kindness, there will be one of two outcomes. One, and this is the one we should pray for, that person will repent. That person will see how you are responding to them in kindness. And they will will hate the fact that they ever did you wrong. And they will turn from their sin. They may even come and apologize and say, thank you for loving me when I was being unloving to you. Thank you for being willing to overlook what I did to you. We should pray for repentance. If they're a true believer, then at the root of who they are, there should always be a spirit of true repentance. Uh, Either in this life or the next, that person will be reunited in perfect harmony to you as a brother or sister in Christ. And there will be real reconciliation and real peace and joy in that relationship forever. But there is that other possibility of what could happen. That even as you treat that person with as much kindness and love as you can, they simply refuse to repent. They may continue to mistreat you till the day you die. They may continue to treat you with with ugliness, uh, manipulating you, abusing you till the day you die. You may feed them when they are hungry. You may cut the grass for them when they're in the hospital for a few days, and yet they still spit every time they hear your name. Okay? That kind of thing happens. This is a person who has never come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of person who simply will not repent is by very definition the person who will suffer the wrath of God in hell. And here's the reality. 
If you treated that person with kindness and you fed them when they were hungry and you gave them drink when they were thirsty and they still didn't repent, they're going to have an even greater judgment in hell. Their punishment is going to be even worse because of what they, the grace they experienced from you that they provoked and turned against. So some people have tried to make this verse about heaping burning coals on a head. They've tried to make it say something it doesn't. Honestly, I have heard preacher after preacher after preacher take this verse and tell the same story about how Israelites would carry these baskets on their head with these burning coals and that heaping burning coals from, from my basket to your basket is a gift of love. So that heaping burning coals on your head is not a bad thing. It's a kind thing. It's a good thing. The problem is there's absolutely no basis that I can find for that story whatsoever. Uh, there is no, to, to everything I've read, and even I've, I've read some other scholars who said it absolutely isn't true. That was never a practice in Israel. That was not something that people did. I think what you have here is preachers struggling to figure out what to do with this passage, and the story seems to help it fit with the fact that you want it to sound loving. I think in reality, this verse is just teaching us something very sobering. If we respond with evil to someone who does us good, their kindness to us will only increase our judgment. Um, If we respond with kindness to someone who does us wrong and they will not turn and they will not repent of what they've done, but continue in their sin, then our kindness to them will be increasing their judgment. It will be like heaping burning coals upon their head. And so if we've done wrong to anyone, we ought to repent. If you've done wrong to anyone, you ought to do everything you can to make it right. Let's make sure that a true spirit of repentance is in us for everything we've ever done wrong. For every sin, the ones we know and even the ones we don't know, let there be a spirit of humble confession and repentance in us. Maybe I need to ask this this evening. Is there someone you need to be reconciled with? Is there someone whom you have mistreated at some point that you need to go back? You know what? You guys may never be uh, best friends again. (laughs) You may never have the relationship the way it was before that mistreatment was done. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't go back and say, you know what, I did you wrong and I am sorry. I am sorry for the way I treated you. Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So is there anyone you need to make peace with this evening? But then we have our sixth and final positive command about how to respond to mistreatment. Honestly, I think this one sums it all up. Overcome evil with good. That's verse 21. And that's the point of the whole passage. Overcome evil with good. Here is the central principle when it comes to responding to evil. Overcome evil with good. Respond to darkness with light. Respond to hatred with love. Respond to dishonesty with truth. Respond to anger with peace. 
Respond to bitterness with kindness. Respond to harsh words with a soft answer. Respond to selfishness, generosity. So let me close with one example of how God used this principle of overcoming evil with good, not responding in kind, but showing love to the one who's done you wrong. Let me give you just one example of how God used that to bring a happy resolution. This is a story from Charles Spurgeon. Okay? So Spurgeon tells the story of William Ladd, who lived in Maine and had a farm in Maine in the early 1800s. And Ladd had a neighbor. His name was Pulsifer, and uh, his neighbor was a great trouble to him. Uh, here's how Spurgeon tells the story. It's from Ladd's own account. I'm just going to read you what he says. So Pulsifer kept a breed of gaunt, long-legged sheep. They were as active as spaniels, which would spring over almost any sort of fence. These sheep were very fond of a fine field of grain that belonged to Mr. Ladd, and so they were in his field continually. Complaints were of no use. Pulsifer evidently cared nothing for his neighbor's losses. One morning, Ladd said to his men, set the dogs out on those sheep, and if that won't keep them out, shoot them. But after he had said that, he thought to himself, this will not do. I had better try the peace principle. So he sent for his men and he countermanded the order. He says, wait, wait, shouldn't have told you that. And he rode over to see his neighbor about those troublesome sheep that kept getting into his field. Good morning, he said, but he received no answer. So he tried again. He got nothing but a sort of grunt in response. In response. Neighbor, he said, I have come to see you about those sheep. Oh, yes, Pulsifer replied. I know. You are a pretty neighbor to tell your men to kill my sheep. You, a rich man, too, and you're going to shoot a poor man's sheep. And then following some very strong language, Lad replied, I was wrong, neighbor, and I am sorry for it. Think no more about it. But, neighbor, we may as well agree... It seems I have got to keep your sheep and it won't do good to let them eat all the grain. So I've come over here to say that I will take them into my homestead pasture. I will keep them all season long and let them eat what they may. And if any is missing, you shall have the pick of mine. In other words, just let them come on over. I'm going to create a pasture for them. I'm going to let them take what's mine and eat what's mine. And the loss will be mine. Well, Pulsifer looked ashamed. And he stammered out, Now, squire, are you in earnest? And when he found that Lad really meant what he said, and he really meant to stand the offer, Pulsifer stood still for a moment and then said, My sheep shall not trouble you anymore. When you talk about shooting, well, I can shoot as well as you. When you speak in that kind and neighborly way, I can be kind too. And the story says that his sheep did not trespass into Lad's lot again. Spurgeon says that's the way to kill a bad spirit. That is overcoming evil with good. If one had begun shooting, the other would have soon followed suit and they would have both been losers and they would both have been overcome with evil. But when the offended one decided to return with kindness, the battle was over. Mount Hermon, I cannot guarantee that if you respond with kindness to your enemies, that reconciliation is always going to happen. In fact, it often will not. 
But do not underestimate what God can do when we trust Him and when we act in obedience to these commands. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? Amen. All right. I have three minutes. Does anybody have any questions?